Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fans Corner Football Podcast. Brian Bouye here along with Keith Van Vechten and Jack Izo. We're at the uh, championship week games. We had a, a wild uh, wild couple games in the AFC and the NFC last week that we'll review those in a little bit. Uh, but first off, we want to dive into some uh, news and some speculation on where uh, some of the coaching changes are going. This is always a, a wild time this time of year, and there's a, a few moves that appear to be imminent that we want to discuss. And I think right at the top of the list, um, it looks like the Detroit Lions are getting ready to hire Matt Patricia as head coach. Um, and the other one that is of interest right off the top of the bat here is Josh McDaniels looks like he's the favorite uh, for the Indianapolis Colts job. So the Patriots could be without both their coordinators going through the offseason. Uh, Keith, what do you think of Matt Patricia to the Lions? I mean, this is a guy, uh, he's certainly paid his dues in New England. He's had kind of a, a bend-but-don't-break defense, um, you know, as far as yardage and stuff like that. But point-wise, you know, they've been number two over the last couple of years as far as points allowed. Um, this is a guy who's got some ties to upstate New York here, played football at RPI. He's got that... Uh, sort of grinder defensive mentality. What do you think of Patricia Lyons? What do you think of that fit? Matt Patricia, of all the coordinators, all the coaches that left New England and those teams that were trying to target them to kind of resemble what the Patriots do, I think Matt Patricia will be the most successful in creating the Patriot-like culture. Maybe not to a T, but something along those lines. I mean, you mentioned last week, Brian, he was going to be a rocket scientist if he wasn't going to coach football. So he's well aware of his surroundings. He's well aware of what's going on. So I think this is a guy that can come in to Detroit, and that's a division that you really need it because you obviously have the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You have the Minnesota Vikings who are in the NFC Championship game, and you have a good young Bears roster that certainly can compete in the coming years. So to get somebody in there like Matt Patricia, and you know, defensive-minded coach, you're going to need a strong defense in that division. Hence the uh, what the Vikings are doing. So to kind of emulate what they're doing to stop the Patriot or stop the Packers, excuse me. I think this is a good hire for them. So uh, the biggest thing he's going to have to do now is work with the GM. But in his role as defensive coordinator, Belichick is the GM of the Patriots. So in a way, he kind of already does that. I guess as close as you can get as a coordinator to working with a general manager and having those discussions. So a couple changes here for him, the things he's going to have to learn on the fly. But as I mentioned, I think of all the coaches that have come out of here, I think the, uh, I think the best hires Matt Patricia to emulate the culture a little bit. Brian, Josh McDaniels, he was in Denver, uh, drafted Tim Tebow. Things didn't go too well for him. He goes to New England. Now, is it Tom Brady that's responsible for his success? Because you've seen a lot of coordinators there that have succeeded, went on, and then haven't really done much. What do you think of Josh McDaniels to the Colts? Uh, you know, I, I think obviously anytime you have Tom Brady, he's going to make you look good. I, I mean, there's no doubt about that. But I, I, I want to give this, I want to give this hire a chance. I, I think McDaniel's first time around, um, I think he was in a bit over his head, you know, running the entire show. But you know, we're a few years down the road here. Um, he's kind of rehabilitated his reputation. You know, I think he's matured a little bit. I think when he was in Denver, I think there was a kind of a reputation that he wasn't ready for this and that he wasn't mature for, uh, to be a head coach in the league. Um, both of these guys, you know, Patricia and McDaniels, I think they're both going into interesting situations. You look at Matt Patricia and here's a guy that, uh, by all reports, he was the guy that the giants wanted as well. So he chose the Lions situation. And I think part of that has to do with Matthew Stafford. You get a quarterback who's, you know, 30 years old in his prime, Patricia being a, a defense first guy you know if he's got a good offensive coordinator in mind the offense should be able to put up points and he can concentrate on working with that defense and like you said he's got his challenges cut out for him in that division um, but but I think he's a great fit and I think he's got less pressure going going into Detroit even though uh, they have a bit of a better team than the Giants do I mean 
I, I think the Detroit Lions have won one playoff game that I can remember in the last 30 years. I mean, they just don't do it. So if Matt Patricia goes in there with a solid roster, they, they draft well, make, maybe get a free agent signer or two that helps them, you know, they win a playoff game or two. He's a hero in Detroit. You know what I mean? You go into New York and, you know, it looks like they're a little further away right now. Um, I think he's making the right choice there, a smart choice. Um, McDaniels, you know, the, the whole question with him going into Indianapolis is it's about Andrew Luck. You know, the future of this franchise is going to be tied to that right shoulder his that we really don't know a lot about right now um i think mcdaniels will be a little better prepared than he was last time around but i don't like indianapolis's roster I, i'm real curious about what they're going to get on andrew luck they don't have an offensive line they got a lot of questions there so i think he's got his work cut out for him but i think he is more prepared this time around so uh bill belichick uh he's he's got his work cut out for him to find some assistance here i mean it's pretty much unprecedented to have both your coordinators leave at the same time so we'll see what happens in, in all these situations but it looks like Patricia to the Lions and McDaniels to the Colts are, are pretty close to getting done. Uh, here in New York, the Giants, it looks like Pat Shermer from the Vikings has moved into the uh, the lead role as far as the favorite in taking the New York job. Shermer was coach of the Cleveland Browns. He had a 9-23 record there during his time, um, which actually looks pretty good when you, when you think of the Lions the last few wins, years yeah. now. Um, but, you know, I, I want to get your take on Shermer. He's not a guy that's known as a, a big, boisterous guy. He's kind of a quiet, reserved guy. You know, do you see him playing well in the New York media? I, I do. And to go back one step here in him going to New York, if you look at this guy's career and you look at the quarterbacks he's had, he's pretty much taken Sam Bradford everywhere he's gone. Sam Bradford had some years that he threw for over uh, 3,500 yards. It was actually four of them to be exact. He had Nick Foles in the year. He threw 27 touchdown passes with two interceptions. I mean, this is a guy that, and obviously what he's doing with Case Keenum this year. So to have the number two pick in the draft, what looks like they're going to get uh, Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, I think uh, Shermer is a good fit for New York. In terms of the media, Brian, I'm I think you got to be one of two extremes. I think you got to be a, a not a loudmouth. I guess a Tom Coughlin type personality. You know, no nonsense, very strict rules. You know, you got to be five minutes early or you're late, or you just have to let the media kind of just fall off your shoulders and not worry about it and do your thing. If you fall in the middle, that's where you know that's where the Ben McAdoo's at the podium are calling out Eli Manning and he's creating drama and stuff like that. That's where the media is going to kind of eat you up. But for Shermer, just to kind of go about his business and do his thing. I think he's going to be fine with the media. I, I don't think he's going to give him much ammunition to work with and, and you know, top line head or headlines in the New York Post. So I think Shermer's a good fit. I like him to groom one of those two quarterbacks, and we'll see what happens. I mean, as you mentioned, nine wins in Cleveland. It's, you might as well give him a Super Bowl trophy. That's the real reason to throw a parade. So I, I like Shermer to the uh, to the Giants for sure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you know New York is one of the few markets where, you know, how you react to the media and the pressures are, are going to be defined. They're going to talk about you every day on, on 98.7. I mean, it's just the way it goes there. Um, you know, he's got more of this kind of quiet, reserved personality. You know, but the same kind of was said about Bill Belichick when he came to the Patriots. You know, he was he was a flunky in his first time around, you know, but he had head coaching experience. The Giants, although they like Matt Patricia, what appeals to them about Pat Shermer is, you know, he's he's been around the league. I mean, he's, he's been a, a coach uh, for 19 years in the league, you know, from head coach and assistant and everything. So he's got the pedigree. Uh, he's done great things with Minnesota this year. I think this is a good hire. Um, 
and it, you know if, if you're drafting that supposed franchise quarterback number two overall, uh, whether it's Darnold, whether it's you know Rosen, whether they go for Josh Allen, pull a surprise, whatever, you know you want a guy who's proven that they can work with players like this, and he installs his system right away, and hopefully you get some continuity there over the next couple of years, uh, where you're not changing coordinators on him all the time. That you can build a system, build something up, um, you know, and you're going to probably in all likelihood either have Eli Manning or a good veteran with you uh, for that first year. I mean, if if the Giants decide to let Eli go, you know you bring in a Sam Bradford or somebody like that to do it for a year and see where you go with. So um, Giants, they got a lot of work. I, I mean, I, I was one of the people who overvalued what they had this year, and now it's just apparent that they've got holes in a lot of areas. So it's going to be a bit of a rebuild. Um, they're, they're a lot further away than a lot of teams. But, you know, Pat Shermer looks like he's going to be the guy here. So uh, we wish him all the luck. He's going to need it in New York. Uh, one more coaching move to take a look at. After uh, winning a first-round game, uh, the Tennessee Titans fired Mike Malarkey, or apparently a parting of the mutual parting of the ways is how they described it. Um, but you know, th- this looks like the writing was on the wall. They gave him kind of a half-hearted endorsement uh, after winning the first game, but you know, it just kind of seems like this was a long time coming in Tennessee here. Uh, Malarkey, Brian, you know, you're right. The writing has been on the wall. You know, a lot of speculation with this guy. Are they going to get rid of him? Are they going to extend him? I mean, openly three weeks ago, the owner supported him, said they're going. he's going to be their head coach moving forward, and here he is out. 20-21 and 21 in three seasons, 9-7 and seven in back-to-back. To me, the Titans, I know they were 9-7. and seven. I know they made the playoffs. It just felt like something was still missing with this team. Now, do I think Malarkey should have been fired? I personally don't think so. I thought he did a pretty good job with this team. I, I really do. But something seemed to be missing. I mean, the emergence of the Jaguars certainly did not help their cause to win that yep. division. Yep. But when you look at Marcus Mariota, I have to believe he hasn't hit his ceiling yet. I mean, I have to. He's made some big plays throughout his career. I mean, this is a guy that they they traded a lot for to move up to get him in, at number two. He's an athletic quarterback. He runs well. He can throw the ball f- above average. I mean, he's not among the league best, but it's certainly above average. To me, this this position is probably going to be appealing for an offensive coordinator, a run-and-gun type style, not Chip Kelly, but a Chip Kelly type mind to try to implement that offense in Tennessee. So, um, you know, hey, I'm, hey, maybe Chip Kelly. You never, very you, well you never know. I mean, you never that know. relationship there. Um, I, I think the point is is well that you know Marcus Mariota probably sunk you know malarkey with his regression this year i mean when you have quarterbacks of that age you know you want to see them taking steps forward each year and when you have a regression you know two three years into the league i mean you know, we, we saw it in Jacksonville have a problem with Blake Bortles last year. We saw it with, you know, Derek Carr this year. And this is the sort of thing that costs coaches jobs. Um, if you believe in Marcus Mariota, you gave up a lot for him. He's a high draft pick. You know, your franchise is kind of tied to that guy. And if you have regressions there, it's going to hurt the head coach. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. But um, it's an I think it is an appealing job. I mean, you've got a couple of pretty good pieces on the offensive line. Uh, you know, Derek Henry, I think, is, is ready to be a really good back in this league. Um, defensively, you know, they're they're okay. They're not great, but they have some pieces there. So we'll see what happens. I think it's an appealing job. Um, we'll certainly keep an eye on the coaching carousel over the next few weeks. We still got things to figure out with the Cardinals. You know what's going on there. Um, you know, and who knows? There might be a couple other moves still still down the pipeline. So we'll see what's going on. But uh, we'll see what happens with the coaching situation in the weeks to come. Now we're going to review the uh, action from the AFC divisional round last week and. Uh, you know, let's start out with Jacksonville and Pittsburgh. I mean, uh, 45-42, uh, Jacksonville beats Pittsburgh. They beat the Steelers for the second time this year. Uh, they put up a lot of points. They gave up a lot of points. It was a wild game. Um, Jack, you're a Steelers fan. We know this is hurtful to uh, even discuss this, but 
you don't seem totally shocked by this. I mean, I know you thought that the Steelers were the better team and that they would win this game, but you weren't exactly 100% confident in this going into last week. I mean, I'm not 100% confident in any game that the Steelers play, and it's been that way the last few years. But, I mean, they got their butts whooped the entire time. It was, you know, that's just the way that went. But, you know, you can point at Haley for the play calls on two fourth and ones. You can point at Tomlin for not doing the quarterback sneaks. You can point at Tomlin for calling the onside kick, which surprised even Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. You know, but it was it was just an overall bad performance. I mean, you could point your finger in just about every direction. You know, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown had phenomenal games, and they did all that they could. You know, just with Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant, just miraculous catch after catch to try to keep them in, and then they just went and scored right back. I mean, you'd think that the Steelers scoring 42 points would be enough, but you know, especially when Ben turns the ball over two times and gives him 14 points. Yeah, the turnovers were key, and I think, you know, you look at uh, this is the second time that Leonard Fournette has just really just runs right just over run right him. through guys. Him. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I think very highly of Fournette. I think he's going to be one of the top five backs in the league for the next 10 years, uh, the way things are looking there. But um, Jacksonville putting up that many points surprises me. I mean, um, you know, th- this is an offense that has been – very erratic throughout the year. We haven't known what we're going to get with Blake Bortles, um, but I, I just find it absolutely shocking that this team is in the AFC Championship game. I mean, I would have never imagined this before. I wouldn't even consider this a playoff team before the year, and here they are. They've beaten Pittsburgh. They're in the AFC Championship game. Uh, Keith, how, how shocking was this result to you? Not very, in all honesty. Uh, I thought the Steelers would win ahead of time. Let me make that clear. But the Jaguars' defense is lights out. I mean, if you were to look at them and compare them to the Broncos from two years ago, this Jaguars' defense is better. And you can argue that Blake Bortles is is playing better than an injured, banged-up Peyton Manning uh, late in the year and going to the playoffs. So it's not very shocking. Um, You know, the the Jaguars are are just a – I mean, they're a juggernaut on defense, as I mentioned. But I want to go back to one thing you mentioned, Jack. And I made a note of here, coaching, right? So let's look at both coaching staffs. The Steelers leading up to the Jaguars were saying how they couldn't wait for the rematch against the Patriots. Uh, You know, there was tweets about it. There was various things said. You had Le'Veon Bell talking about a contract. During the game, you had Marquise Pouncey push a ref. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he should have been ejected from the game, and he wasn't. The Steelers' defense was gassed late in the fourth quarter. You mentioned play calls. And then you have the other side of it. The, The playmakers made their plays. So why did they lose? It was the culture that lost them that game. I mean, they were focused on everything other than what they should have been focused on. If you were to look at Doug Marone and the job he's done, guys, he won a game 10-3. to He put a game plan together for that. And then he put his team in position to win a game 45-42. to if, if I were to pick a coach of the playoffs, I think it's Doug Marone. He's got a very underachieving quarterback. I know he's got a juggernaut defense, but he's putting his guys in positions to win games in various ways. So to look for me, both coaching staffs, just it was a tale of two extremes there. And I'm not surprised that the Jaguars won just based on some of those things I just mentioned. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting the way the defense has been, because, you know, for the majority of this year, you know, I mean, they're calling them Saxonville for a reason, you know, but they've had some serious blips on the radar too I, I mean you know they got carved up by the 49ers they allowed 42 points in this game I mean you know th- that's not 
great defense in games like this, but they're finding different ways to win it. I mean, um, you know, you certainly wouldn't expect a Blake Bortles offense to put up 45 on anybody, um, but they're finding ways to do it. And like you said, Marone, you know, you got to give him some credit here. Uh, Tom Coughlin, in my opinion, has got to be executive of the year in the NFL for coming in and kind of changing the culture there, um, bringing in some smart free agent additions, uh, drafting well. You know, they're, they're, they're a good story this year. They really are. Um, I still don't believe in them, and I know that here they are in the AFC Championship, and we should be giving them, and at least I should be giving them more credit than I am. But I just I haven't figured this out yet. I think I they really got don't. a fighter's chance this week. I really yeah, do. Yeah, it will be, it'll be interesting to see. So their opponent in the AFC Championship game, to no surprise, will be the New England Patriots, who uh, took out Tennessee 35-14. to uh, you know, most people had this as a two, three touchdown score, you know, going into this, uh, Patriots did what they needed to do here. Uh, you know, Brady played well, Gronk played well, defensively, they did what they needed to do. Uh, what, what do you guys make of this game? I, I just kind of thought it, this was a ho-hum win. New England, you know, showed up, did what they needed to do and on to the next one. I think this is the game they needed to a T for all the grumblings and everything that's been going on uh, throughout the past couple of weeks for them. 35-14, down 7 nothing. They scored 35 unanswered before the Titans even really know it hit them. They just went out there and did their job. I mean, you had guys reemerge. I mean, James White scores a touchdown. I mean, he hasn't played in how many weeks? You know, guys catching passes. They, they, they were just the vintage Patriots in this game. Chris Hogan being Chris back. Chris Hogan. You know, yeah. I mean, this was just vintage Patriots, as I mentioned, and I'm not surprised. I mean, 35-14, there's not much to say. But when I look at the Titans, and I always like to look at what their best player does, right? Marcus Mariota threw the ball 37 times. When have we ever mistaken Marcus Mariota as a pocket passer throwing the ball 37 times? He was sacked eight times. He was 5 of 10 for 48 yards when facing pressure. This is not a science, but usually when teams lose that have one guy that really carries the load, they have games like that, and Marcus Mariota did. So Patriots took care of business. Titans, as we just mentioned in the Malarkey segment, you know, they're getting close, but they're underachieving. So I'm not surprised at the score at all. Yeah, I think you look at this game and, and, you know, you always talk about what the perceived weaknesses of New England are. And the big thing this year was, you know, they don't have that great pass rush. Well, guess what? Matt Patricia's D goes out and gets eight sacks. You know, I mean, uh, it seems New England finds a way to get what they need when they need it. And, you know, this was just a very good performance on that side of the ball, you know, and they make teams do things that they don't want to do. The uh, the Titans do not want Marcus Mariota throwing the ball 35-plus times. I mean, you've got Derrick Henry. You've got a good running game. Your your lines on both sides of the ball are more physical than New England's by all accounts, and they weren't able to take advantage of that. I mean, that's that's the coaching staff you know, putting their teams in the advantage that they need to be. So uh, New England did what they had to. They advanced 35-14, and that brings us to the AFC Championship game. New England hosting Jacksonville. Um, I'm going to keep disrespecting the Jaguars. I, I know, Keith, you say they got a fighting chance in here. I don't see it. I, I just think this is the, another one of these t- games where, you know, Brady's going to just carve them up, and that's going to be all there is to it. Tell me tell me something different. I think this is going to be a Patriots win. I agree with you, but I think it's going to be within one score. I really do. I think the fourth quarter is going to be telling in this game. I think Belichick will outcoach Doug Marone, as he does every week with, with every opponent. When you have Rex Burkhead coming back, as I mentioned, you got the reemergence of James White, you have Deion Lewis, you have Gronkowski. I think Hogan and Cooks will struggle against uh, Ramsey and Boye, but Gronkowski is going to be a beast as he always is. I mean, aside from the Seahawks when they have a healthy Cam Chancellor, I don't see anybody in the league being able to match up with him. So I think he's going to be a problem. 
But I think the Patriots are going to rotate guys. I think they're going to come up with a scheme to keep their defense off the field as much as they can. And I think they can just wear the Jaguars out. I mean, when you rely on the defense that much, and if the defense gets tired in the least amount of bit, and if Fournette is not getting the yards that he was getting against the Steelers and whatnot, and at the end of the day, you're still going to rely on Bortles. I'm going with Tom Brady in this one. I think it's going to be close. I really do. I, I really see the Jaguars competing, and if they squeak out an upset, I I really do could see it happening, but I think the Patriots are going to be too much. I think Belichick understands that they're probably they're probably the least talented team between the two, in all honesty, if you look across the board, just based on that defense alone, and if you go to you know the offensive side of the ball as well. So I like the Patriots here. I like Belichick out coaching Marone, but I think it's going to be really close. I think the one thing that bodes well for Jacksonville is you look at the games that the Patriots have either lost or struggled in, it's because they're able to get pressure on Tom Brady and get into that backfield. And this is what Jacksonville does best. Um, you know, They brought in pass rushers this offseason. Calais Campbell is certainly in the mix for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Um, this is a six foot eight mountain that I don't know if New England can block him. Uh, obviously, they come up with great schemes every week to, to adjust to these sort of things. But if they're going to have a chance, they're going to have to have Tom Brady have happy feet this week. Um, but, you know, he's got the safety valve. He's got guys who catch the ball over the middle. He's going to make his adjustments. And, and we've said it. We've seen it all year. There isn't a player in the league that's going to stop Rob Gronkowski. It's just I think that's going to be a huge difference. I think they're going to be able to adjust with a passing game, short passing, take advantage of, of James White, take advantage of Deion Lewis, use the skill set there. I'm thinking New England's putting 40 points up this week. Oh, I really do. I don't. I think it's really going to be a at game home. Like last year. I think they're going to have their way. Uh, Jack, be the tiebreaker here. Is this going to be a romp or is this going to be close? If the Steelers can put up 42 points, the Patriots can put up 50. This game is going to be a two to three score win. This is the reason why New England gets to the Super Bowl every year is because they are the elite team that can get things done in these types of situations. I think the Jaguars, I don't disagree with you entirely, Keith. They do have a chance. They do have the talent to keep the game close on the defensive side because they can get pressure on Tom Brady. I just don't see it happening. Can, can I react to that? Yes. Go for I, it. All right, so yes. it's you two versus me. So <laughs> here we go. Jack, about the Steelers, nobody's ever going to mistake the Patriots having more talent than the Steelers. So to put up 42 points, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. When you look at the Jaguars' defense and how they match up against both teams, they match up better with the Patriots than they do the Steelers because there's not as many playmakers. There really isn't. I mean, Brandon Cooks is their best receiver. Okay, Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the game. Le'Veon Bell, I don't care how many running backs the Patriots have. They're not matching what Le'Veon Bell can do. And then, obviously, Brady's better than Roethlisberger, but, I mean, it's not by light years. I mean, Roethlisberger has had a very, very good career. And, Brian, to your point... I look at the game last year the Patriots had against the Texans in the playoffs, and I think Tom Brady completed like 38% of his passes. I don't have the stats in front of me. I don't have all the numbers. But the Texans had the best defense in the league at that time last year, and they kept it close for most of yeah, the game. Yeah. So I can see the game going much like that. So I think you can make the argument. I can, see, I can think you can make the argument. But my thing is I look at how many times have we seen this show before. You know, I think, every year. I, I think the Patriots right now, they handled the Titans with, with pretty much ease after the first drive. You know, you've got it always seems that they're at their best when the, the quote world is closing in around them. You're hearing the rumors, oh, the, the big three are gonna be broken up next year. They gotta they're gonna lose their coordinators. 
This just means they're going to destroy teams even worse, in my opinion. And you have know? the Jaguars not responded well to criticism and their backs against the wall this year as well? I, I, you they have, but they're ways. not the Patriots. No, so. of course Anyways, they're not. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, it'll be fun, and you know, one of us uh, can be yelling at the other next week about uh, who was right and who was wrong. That segment so. went far too long. Yeah, yeah, it did. So we'll, we'll move on to the NFC, um, the division games. You know, Philadelphia, another team that has been getting perceived disrespect. I mean, you don't really see too many teams that earn the number one seed, play at home, and then they're underdogs. Um, but that's exactly what the case was uh, against Atlanta. But Philadelphia finds a way to win 15-10. to 10. Uh, Matty Ice and that Atlanta offense that looked like it was maybe figuring things out second half of the season and opening the playoffs here. Didn't get much done against this Philly defense. They played with a chip on their shoulder. They did just enough offensively. Um, and here we are. The Eagles are in the NFC Championship game. Nick Foles is their quarterback. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to bet against Philly. I mean, this crowd, that crowd was electric at, at Lincoln Financial Field. Um, how did you see this game breaking down here with Philly and Atlanta? Uh, the Eagles had a lot stacked against them. I mean, obviously Nick Foles being in, he did not look lost in the moment. He played himself a good game. I mean, they missed an extra point. They had some calls not go their way. You know, 15-10, to 10, that's one of those games where the Eagles took the Falcons and made them play their game. You know, the Falcons are known for high scoring, regardless of what they've done this year. I mean, yep. they have, you know, they have a big three right up there with the Steelers. I mean, with Ryan, Julio Jones, and Devontae Freeman. And they took those three and made them play to the Eagles' strength. So uh, I was impressed by this. I, like I said, even at home, being the underdogs, a lot going on. I was I was really um, I was really inspired by what I saw out of the Eagles defense in, in the rush game in particular or the rush defense excuse me so to look at that and project at what they're going to do this week I mean you can argue that the Falcons are better running the ball than the Vikings are so I think they can hold their own I think they can make Case Keenum try to beat him with with his arm and guys at the end of the day Case Keenum is still a journeyman in this league who's had what three quarters of a good season I'm not saying he's going to play so good Foles, or bad though. yeah but sure <laughs> yeah. but I think I think the Eagles can do the same thing to the Vikings here um you know but we'll, we'll preview that in a minute but I was really impressed with the Eagles did and you know they really took it to the Falcons yeah I thought defensively they were great and they you know teams seek motivation in different ways and, and if you saw some of the post-game stuff you saw Chris Long walking around with a dog mask and everything you know I mean they're buying into this they're using it the way they need to bulletin board yep. uh, yeah so I, I mean They've got a great home crowd there, you know, and, and they, they did just what they needed to. It was a conservative game plan for the most part. You know, they tried early on, you know, throwing a couple of deep balls, and, you know, that's not who they are right now with this team. I mean, you've got Jai, you you've got Blunt, you know, use these guys, grind it, win the clock, and play good defense, and that's going to be that's gonna be the recipe for them moving forward. The Falcons, you know, strange season with these guys, you know, very up and down. Um, I, I don't think they ever maximized throughout this year. Uh, what Julio Jones is and who, what he's capable of. Um, I think you're going to see some changes on the offensive side of the ball for that team next year, probably in the coaching booth more so than uh, on the field because I think they've got all the weapons, and this was a bit of a lost season in my estimation. I know they won a playoff game and got the NFC, but you know this was a team that was – I think just as good as they were talent-wise last year when they were up 28-3 in the in the Super Bowl. So tough way to see Atlanta end, but uh, Philadelphia on the NFC Championship game, and you know they're going to have – they're going to have a team that maybe has a little bit of destiny on their side here. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about the play too too much here with the uh, uh, the Vikings defeating the Saints. I mean, one of the most miraculous ways to end a game in NFL history, no doubt here. Um, but the Vikings are coming into this game with such momentum, with such a buzz after the way this game ended and the fact that they get one more win 
they're going to be in their own locker room for the Super Bowl. So we've got a lot of people talking about them as a team of destiny here. Um, let's break down the Vikings beating the Saints here first before we get into the analysis of the NFC Championship game. Jack, when you saw, kind of looked at this game here, did you think that this is the way this would go down as far as – I mean, obviously no one's going to predict a, a final play like that, but um, – Minnesota winning a tight game here against the Saints. I wasn't surprised by that at all. I mean, I knew that this game I thought was going to be the best game of the week. Um, that game was. And, right, like you said, no one could predict how that game could have ended. And that was a stunner to everyone in that stadium. But, you know, that was you know that was a struggle for a lot of that game. You know, Drew Brees is going to do what he always does. But, I mean, that game, you know, when you have a final play like that, of course it's, it's a soul crusher for sure. But, no, that was, you know, that was everything I expected from the Vikings. Yeah, just just a great game. I mean, those final couple of minutes where it was just really back and forth. You know, I mean, uh, Vikings take the lead, and then you're watching, you're thinking, wow, they just gave Drew Brees way too much time. And he did exactly what you thought he could do. This is what a Hall of Fame quarterback does. Went down there, got his team back to lead. Um, but, boy, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of great games over the years, but th- this was great. Uh, the Minnesota crowd, I mean, man, they're, they're, they're yearning for this. But the Vikings, you know, this is a team that has found a way to do stuff all year. Um, they've overcome a lot. I mean, you know, everybody talks about the quarterback situation, but, you know, they had a guy that after two, three weeks in the season that we're talking about Dalvin Cook who could possibly be, you know, rookie of the year. Then they lose him. You know, uh, the defense has been very good with a lot of guys that people don't really know. Um, they, they've just been a really fun team to watch this year, and I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I'm more so looking forward to this game than I am the AFC game, to be honest with you here. So um, let's look at the way these teams match up. Um couple of quarterbacks here in Case Keenum and Nick Foles that, you know, certainly did not start the season as, as their team's quarterbacks. How do you see this game going down, Keith? You're right. I'm more intrigued by this game than I am the AFC as well. These two teams resemble each other, I mean, to a T almost. You know, a couple of things you mentioned. And also, if you look, you know, a little deeper, rush defense, they're both good. Secondaries, they have some holes. I mean, obviously, playing Drew Brees and Matt Ryan, plays are going to be made. But they have some holes in their secondary, but they bend and don't break. Both have the backup quarterbacks. They both have a reliable tight end. You got Ertz and you got Rudolph. I mean, the receivers are definitely serviceable on both sides of the ball. So to me, this is the harder of the two games. I mean, you literally could flip a coin and pick a winner and, you know, have a 50% chance of winning this one. I like the Vikings. I just think they're the most complete team in the NFL. Brian, you mentioned destiny. There is going to be a team that plays in their home stadium for a Super Bowl someday. Sooner or later, why and not this year? if it's not this year, when will it be? Yeah. With this Vikings team and the momentum that they have and you know, coming off of a game that they just had, you know, I heard today that there could be some concerns about having a letdown. Okay, that's fair. But the Eagles won a game, too, that they had a lot go against them and they were underdogs. So they could have a letdown as well. So if you really look at these two across the board, I just think the Vikings are the more complete team. I say that with half confidence. I, if the Eagles win this game, I would not be surprised. But I like the Minnesota Vikings here. I just I think they're going to be able to run the ball a little bit better. I think the receivers are better overall as a unit. And I just think that defense is going to rise to the occasion a little bit more on the road than the Eagles will at home. I hear what you're talking about as far as a letdown. But I think at this point in the season and with what's on the line, I view it as it's going to be a momentum springboard is kind of how Certainly I see could it. Be. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think when you talk about momentum, um, you know, and letdowns, I, I think you see it more in other sports than they do in the NFL. I think you see it in the NBA after, you know, last, last night, you know, the, the golden state warriors, you know, played a huge game against Cleveland. Okay. And it's one of the couple times they see them during the regular season. Then they go off and play four or five games against lesser competition. 
that's kind of the beauty of the NFL. Every week is important. And when you're in the playoffs, obviously, a trip to the Super Bowl is on the line. They're, they're going to be there's jacked There's no seven-game series. Yep. They're going to be jacked up. There's nothing There's nothing more to, pe- to play for. You get here, you win this, you get to the Super Bowl. Um, having said that, I think a slight advantage goes with Minnesota, um, with Case Keenan, because he's been doing this for a lot longer throughout this season than Nick Foles has. They're still trying to figure it out with Foles. They're still trying to get him enough reps. They're still trying to get him in there. Um, you know, I, I think they've struggled a bit with him offensively. You know, the run game, teams can key on it. They're going to make Foles try to beat you. And, you know, he's not able to throw the long ball down the field right now is the way I see it. Um, Minnesota's defense, they get to the quarterback. They, they, you know, their only holes are maybe a little bit in the secondary, but – I think they're going to go in there on the road and win this game something like 21 to 16, uh, 21 17, something like that. I just think they're a little bit better overall. I think they're a little deeper. I think they got a little more talent, um, and they just feel like a team of destiny to me. And Brian, you mentioned something that I jotted down here Case Keenum and Nick Foles. If you were to look at Case Keenum when he first came in, the Vikings were not relying on him heavily. I mean, they weren't relying on Sam Bradford, so he kind of just stepped in, did his thing, and they didn't really lose much because they didn't rely on him. When Carson Wentz went down and Nick Foles came in, that team really heavily relied on Wentz right up till he got hurt. So you're asking Nick Foles to come in and try to resemble Carson Wentz, an MVP candidate, as much as he can and rely on him a little bit. Now, I know they've game planned a little differently and obviously they're running or relying more on the running game, but I think it could come down to something as simple as that. I think Minnesota's more in their zone right now, and Keenum's not going to have to do much, and I think they're going to be able to win on the road. I, I think that's a great point. I mean, you know, anytime you've got a guy who's having an MVP caliber season and he goes down, you're going to have to change a lot or at least change the expectations of what your offense is going to do. Uh, like you said, Minnesota is basically running the same thing that they've had all year. I mean, um, you know, and Keenum's been in the system now long enough that they really didn't have to make dramatic changes when they've put him in there. You know, sure, you're going to change things a little of bit course. schematically. You're going to have base packages that you run a bit more. Um, but I think with Wentz, I mean, you know, we saw it last year with Derek Carr, you know. Um, he goes down and the Raiders' season goes down with him. It's been a great thing to see Philadelphia, you know, absorb this and find a way to, to make it to the NFC title game. I mean, Nick Foles, I mean, he started in the league before. This isn't some unknown that they're bringing in. This isn't like when the Raiders had to bring in Connor Cook last year. You know, Nick Foles has been a veteran guy in this league. He's had success. Um but, you know, anytime you lose an MVP candidate, it's going to hurt your team. It's going to hurt your productivity. There's no doubt. Um, and I think that little difference could be the edge that uh, the Vikings have in this game here. Jack, you want to chime in just a little bit here? Who do you like on this one? I like the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, like you said, the, the difference here is going to be the quarterback situation because they the Vikings have not had to rely on Case Keenum to be that guy all year. The Eagles more so had to do that with Wentz. And Nick Foles, he's been getting plenty of time. He had the bye week. You know, they got one out against the Falcons. You know, I thought that I didn't expect them to win that game. I thought that was a great effort. But I think the experience that Case Keenum has had all year with this team is going to be the deciding factor here. The defenses are going to play really well. You know, they played well all season long, but the Vikings are just going to have, they have the best opportunity right now to keep doing what they've done all year. You heard it, folks. All three of us were taking the road team here. We like the uh, Minnesota Vikings to win in Philadelphia. Uh, the Purple People Eaters will uh, be having a home game in the Super Bowl. That's that's kind of the way we see it, and uh, we see them doing it against Tom Brady and the uh, New England Patriots. So that's that's the way we see it. We'll see how it plays out, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun this weekend. But before we go, Jack has been giving us some great numbers, some great stats all year, and I know he's got a couple of good ones for us this week. Yeah, another interesting one to go along with the Steelers whooping against the Jaguars. The only team, other than, of course, the Patriots, that have a winning record in Heinz Field is the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Wow. Five and two against the Steelers in Heinz Field. And that's a lot of bad teams that won in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. you know, we certainly aren't just talking the last uh, last year or so. I mean, they've uh, they've had some epically bad teams in Jacksonville. So it, it's interesting to see the Jaguars in this position. And, uh, you know, we'll see if they can, quote, shock the world and, and beat the uh, Patriots. I, I think uh, – Everybody, you know, NBC and whoever's running the Super Bowl, is it Fox or NBC? Who's got it this year? I don't I think even it's know. NBC. I think it's NBC. You know, they need Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. The last thing these these people want is to see Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars and one of the smallest media markets be in the Super Bowl. So they got a lot of chips on it. But, uh, boy, that would be fun to see Blake Bortles and the Jaguars. Wouldn't it be fun? Off, wouldn't it, you know? Uh, especially us Raiders fans who still hate Tom Brady and the Patriots. and every It all started with that Every fumble. fiber of our being. So. Anyways, that, uh, that'll wrap it up this week. Uh, we'll have a show coming for you next week uh, where we analyze uh, the top players and give out kind of our awards for the season while we uh, have the two-week break for the Super Bowl. And then we'll be back the following week with our Super Bowl preview edition. So for Keith Van Vecten and Jack Eisel, I'm Brian Bouye, and we'll see you soon.